0: Hey, Bob, what are we doing today? That is a really damn good question, Kevin. Uh, We have a special guest in studio today, Kyle Weems from uh, Stardate Supplemental is joining us. In addition to an amazing podcast, he is also quite professional when it comes to the JavaScript world of things. So we're gonna talk about uh, flavors of the week, slash month, slash minute, as it relates to JavaScript, and how that makes web development somehow better. But before we get started, I want to hijack the agenda just a little bit. And we're going to talk about how uh, our buddy Mark Zuckerberg, he's just having some pretty shitty days week after week after week. And today was an interesting one. And uh, we're going to go around the horn and say hello. And then we're going to talk about uh, Holocaust deniers and how Mark is apparently okay with all that. So with that being said... Got a couple guys joining us today. Kevin, who's always here. Say hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. He does that regularly now. And we've got Kyle Weems joining us all the way from the west coast of the big old United States of America. Kyle, say hello and tell everybody about yourself.
1: Hello, I'm Kyle. Tell me about myself. I don't prepare bios. Uh, I'm a JavaScript developer. I work for off Code, who are awesome. Multiple award-winning off-road code. Multiple award-winning off-road code. I love JavaScript. Uh, I used to do a webcomic about a squirrel. And right now I'm doing a podcast about ships on Star Trek. Because that's where the money's at, Bob, is (laughs) and podcasts about geek franchises. Kevin and I have actually both
0: retired our regular day gigs. And uh, we're pulling in point zero 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 (laughs) figures a week on the podcast. that sounds about right. If you're ahead of me, I'm losing money still. so <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> waiting to cash in my exposure
2: dollars at Starbucks. Apparently, they don't take exposure cards.
1: Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that the same thing that those novice developers and designers are supposed to use? Yes, exactly. I've never gotten a single cup of coffee mm-hmm. off that, I'll be honest.
0: So Kyle, full disclosure, um, we bring people, uh, celebrities like yourself onto the show because we want to <laughs> actually get, uh, 50 listens per episode instead of the standard 20 when it's just Kevin and myself. So, uh, no pressure.
1: It, I'm so glad to help you bring that in. I'll ask all 10 of my friends to listen. There you go. <laughs> we have many dozen friends. <laughs> uh Exactly.
0: All right, so I know we're going to talk about JavaScript today, and um, as someone who is uh, terrible at JavaScript plus all other things development, I'm very excited to dive into that topic. <laughs> but, um, I, I want to take it a little bit more gossipy and uh, kind of like uh, the view for a couple seconds, if we may. So Mark Zuckerberg had another bad day today. Uh, Kevin and I have dragged Facebook over the coals or raked over the coals, I think is the proper term, uh, for several weeks now because they
1: keep screwing things up. I think in many ways, though, Bob, that might actually be Sort of like part of your brand identity is dragging Facebook. <laughs> was it your first or second pod when you switched over formats, and not, and even before that was definitely dragging Facebook. And and, and good and good on you. They it's contain- it's
0: low hanging fruit for sure. I mean, not gonna lie. Is- yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I deleted
2: my Facebook. You know, and to be frank, I. I I don't miss it
0: whatsoever.
1: I, I think if I got rid of my Twitter, I'd miss it. My Facebook, I just don't miss it. How do you contact family members who live outside of your town? Um, you got a chat app? Because I'm trying to figure it out. How do I you leave know,
2: Facebook? Maybe, maybe. I, I actually don't have an ex-
0: really an extended
2: family. So I am like, it's like <laughs> it doesn't apply to me. So maybe that's why it makes
0: it easy to me. Oh, so man, say that, that might be a whole new special episode of the Bob and Kevin show where we talk about all this. <laughs>
1: Because I got to be honest, uh, um, most of my Facebook experience is Messenger, and it's purely for that reason. So I
0: do want to jump in here, though. Kyle, I think there's an untapped market for you on Facebook or possibly a second podcast about the what's happening in your new neighborhood situation, because you give us little <laughs> glimpses and anecdotes online. And uh, I love this. Kyle's Neighborhood Sandlot kind (laughs) of documentary that's going on. Tell us a little bit about your new living situation.
1: I think we've literally hijacked a hijack, but that's fine. So uh, I'm really (laughs) lucky. I finally am a homeowner at the age of 40, barely. Um, So just squeezed in. Way to go, me. And I live out in the countryside now in kind of a... uh, It's it's not exactly a lakeside. You can't see the lake from here, but it's like a mile away, sort of a country... um, I don't know if it's a suburb or not. I don't know what the density has to be suburb. And our next door neighbor has a, has a child whose name I don't know yet. He's like maybe eight or nine, but I call him Billy. Oh, you made that up. I made that up. I, I really don't know what his name is. He's, <laughs> talk, he's talked to me about squirrels once. It's the only, and, and you know, he started the combo. I was outside and he's like, starts talking about the different kinds of squirrels. So it was really important. To him. And I like, I don't him.
0: know That's suspect to me. What is your Twitter handle again?
1: Right. CS so yeah, squirrel. I know it seems weird, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and his misadventure and this kid's bananas, honestly. So it makes it really fun to just see whatever's going on outdoors. Uh, sometimes in my yard because there's no fence and he's not used to people living here yet, and um, whatever nonsense he's up to. Uh, it usually involves toy swords, killing cardboard boxes, eating shrubs. I'm not even joking, Bob. I've watched him. Oh, I know you not. <laughs> he's stripping down bushes, eating something. I like. It's not fruit. I don't know if he's eating bugs off of it or leaves or. And it's not like casually. Like he's doing it the way a cocaine addict is looking for another bump. It's like really I said, weird. This is content <laughs> wow. that you could redistribute. You could totally redistribute this content. Yeah, yeah. people keep telling me about that. So I, so I may have to start the unofficial Billy show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. It, it, it's funny stuff. And, and it's also their cat, it turns out. It's the weird neighbor cat that keeps trying to come inside. She doesn't like our cats, but she thinks this is her house for some reason. So, <laughs> so, so full
2: disclosure, um, whenever I see your uh, Twitter handle, and I just realized this maybe a month ago, that your handle isn't CSS Squirrel, it's CS Squirrel. And because right. I associate you with Front End, I in my mind, I saw CSS on the front see, of the it's name.
1: pronounced CSS Squirrel by most people for that reason. It was an intentional uh, portmanteau. I can't say that word right. You know, slam it together. But... Uh, um, that's why I always spell it out whenever I say it online. Gotcha. Never get it right otherwise.
2: So, um, so let's hijack the hijack one more time. Um, you're uh, you're doing a podcast with your brother, right? Yeah, yeah, tell, my brother a-
1: Connor. So, I've got a twin brother. um, So, we're both 40. We've both been Star Trek fans for life. And I used to run a previous podcast that originally was more web focused with a friend of mine, Dylan Wilbanks, Mm -hmm. and then kind of became more and more generically geek. But then we would never put it up. We have like 60 episodes. We never uploaded. I don't know why. So, I finally decided
0: Wait, 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 wait. So, you did a podcast with Dylan
1: yeah never uploaded it well no we uploaded it occasionally but then oh, less okay. and less and less we just I don't know if it was confidence on our part or the production time because he used to assemble it and now that I do it I can see why it takes time <laughs> so uh, you know once you're the guy who has to put it together um, but my brother and I had been like hey let's make a podcast what the heck are we gonna talk about because we're experts on virtually nothing <laughs> and so we decided Star Trek because, uh, in fact, we have some useless skills there. And we were going to do one about Deep Space Nine called Deep Space Wine, where we are <laughs> going to drink wine. And watch Deep Space Nine, but um, it took Uh, us so worth it right now. (laughs) Right, it took us like two hours though of our first episode. We were going to cover the emissary, the first episode of that show, and instead we would only covered the like two minutes before the initial credits, where Mm -hmm. Cisco's on the Saratoga fighting the Borg cube in In the two hours. Yeah, see, and that was a problem, right? Because we were really excited about this random ship that shows up. And so we realized this, this was never going to work. And then, and then about a week later, we're like, what if we just do that? So Stardate Supplemental is a podcast about the ships not named Enterprise. That's the, the gig. And we're just kind of starting with TNG, which, is, as you know, is really rough in the first few seasons. And every time there's a ship that has enough of an identity to be talked about, or, or space station. We uh, hypothesize about what its life is like beyond what you see on screen, talk about what's on screen. We over-geek about Star Trek, Wikipedia articles, etc. And then at the end, we theorize how a fictional crew of the B-listers of Starfleet would handle it, uh, the USS Hood. Which is one of those excelsior class ships that show up a few times? That like, you know, Enterprise is always handling everything with this giant magnificent ship. And this is like the barely also ran starship. How would they handle the situation?
2: Well, Kyle, uh, and hopefully Conrad listens to this, where you can tell him, I love it because I'm a huge TNG fan, and I totally agree. For me, TNG like didn't hit it stride till season three.
1: Yeah, and season two is like the what the hell just happened? <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. We're I feel pretty like- excited about the ni- next episode because we actually get to do the Klingon ship, the the IKC Pach. But it's been mostly like holding on by the edge of our seats, which is good, actually. I think the worse the episode is in Star Trek, the better the podcast will be. Oh, so. hell yeah. Oh, hell. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the need to break in
0: just in case because, you know, with all of our single-digit listeners, some of them <laughs> may not know that uh, TNG is the next generation
1: fair yeah <laughs> i assume a certain amount of technical knowledge on my book
0: <laughs> so I'm, a very, I'm very anti-acronym just for the
1: record um, I,
0: I want
2: I, I i want to prejudice your uh, future content creation uh, i think my favorite episode i think it's in season three it's cause and effect i think it's where they're in a time loop where they keep getting destroyed and, and they oh that one's brilliant and uh also known I, as I just, groundhog day I, yeah, that's it, exactly what happens. And I want to know, because I hit a ship, like like like
1: the premise. The USS Bozeman. Yeah, I know see, that one. See, I, 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 I want to know this one, so please put that in an episode. Oh, it's it's on the list. I actually went through The Next Generation and kind of like went through all the episode guides and tried to list out how many different ships we could use. And throughout the whole season of The Next Generation, we'll get about 77 episodes, Holy which cow. is... Not bad, actually. And it gets actually more with Deep Space Nine and Voyager because they have a lot more ship of the week, you know? But uh, so that's going to be fun. And Bozeman, I'm excited about because I'm really curious, honestly, about that giant gun sitting on the back of that thing. It's like a Miranda class, but with like a huge cannon for no good reason. (laughs) Right. The great thing about your your
2: podcast is you guys get to invent the backstory that's missing. Yes. um, Right.
1: And we do do that, and it's 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 uh, been fun. And we've got a few local listeners that get really opinionated about it in fun response to it. So it turns out it, it, it's a worthwhile. And someone's listening to it. So that that's that's been exciting. <laughs> that's a weird part.
0: Uh, it <laughs> saved my life yesterday. I'm not going to lie. I was stranded in New York. Uh, the weather was bad, and uh, StarDate fundamental saved my life. So Supplemental. Supplemental, supplemental. supplemental. sorry, sorry. <laughs> wow, true fan, supplemental, fundamental. First time uh,
1: fan, long time almost listener, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly,
0: <laughs> but it did save my life yesterday. Um, quick question, asking for a friend. Uh, how much show prep do you
1: and your brother do? We watch the episode in question beforehand uh, on the week before, preferably within a couple of days, but anywhere in the week beforehand. And I've done a lot of prep ahead of time on uh, building out a list of stuff that we can just reference as like a text Bible. Um, sometimes we'll do notes, but honestly, they're they're, they're small. Uh, and then we decide on a topic for our opening segment because we have three segments. We have an opening segment where we talk random sh- crap. And then we have a segment where we talk about the ship. And we're trying to make that the big segment, but sometimes it shrinks. And then we'll talk about this, you know, what would the hood do? And... Um, It's finding out the opening segment takes some time. It's the post prep is actually the biggest thing. That takes me about, I've got it down to about three hours after the podcast. Yeah. Do you find
0: yourself doing a lot of editing or is it just finding the right transitional clips?
1: I used to do a lot of editing. Uh, We're both inclined to say, um, a little too often. And I try to pay attention to it. There's a little bit of heavy breathing because I don't have a filter for that yet. And I used to really kind of like scrub for that kind of thing. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, um, I I just need to get some cancer equipment to, to help because I'm a bit of a mouth breather. And uh, that took a lot of time. But nowadays, um, we do less of that. Every now and then, we'll drop about three or four minutes of content in a segment because we go too far down the rabbit hole in a way that's not constructive for making it funny or worth listening to and so i'll just clip those out um as far as the bumps most of them are pre-made for like the segments and then while i'm doing the record while i'm listening just making sure that the quality is fine i'll be scrubbing through the episode and try to get like you know a six or seven second segment where they mention the ship's name on screen and stuff like that so eventually we'll end up with more stuff in it but only after i've brought down the production time so yeah you know it, it just. It's fun, but most of it's post production, not pre production.
0: I know Kevin has a question, so I will follow up after his. Go ahead.
2: Uh, no, I actually more of a statement. We're about three layers on the call stack right now, so eventually we we're gonna have to return so from these methods. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I just want to point that out. I'm, I'm, actually okay.
0: Okay. I'm actually okay with screwing the Zuckerberg conversation for this one because this is actually interesting to me. Um, so <laughs> the question was about the uh production and the prep, and it was related to, um, are you worried about when you put the bumps in and you're grabbing the show content? Because Kevin and I have run into issues with our old platform, right. so uh, is there a concern about the copyrighted material?
1: We're a commentary, uh, usually commentary that serves as sort of a review of content is covered under fair use. We and, thought so too. Uh, you have to be careful, <laughs> well, but it also has to be transformative. If you have too much content, it's often considered not transformative. You're effectively playing it in the background or as you go. Uh, by which I mean, we're small enough fries, and we're not using a platform like YouTube, so right. I'm not too worried. We make it clear that we're a fan podcast on our site, and I try never to go above more than like seven or eight seconds of content. Okay, so uh, Our, you have bumps, our bump. bumps all involve uh, uh, free um, royalty-free music that is not from the episodes, mm-hmm. so I'm also very careful about that because music's where you usually get in trouble. Ooh, ooh. I would like to point out here that Bob and I
2: used to be on YouTube, and they have this automated detections for all this. Right, right, right exactly. And that got us a few times. And believe it or not, we are actually like three for three. We actually won all of our cases. But since it's an automated bot, this bot does not know between fair use, copyrighted material, et cetera. And watch this. Wait for it. So Zuckerberg has been asked <laughs> to, nice. to determine whether or not Infowars is good or bad. And he's a human and he can't figure it out. How the hell are we going to get some sort of bot that actually understands the nuances of human copyright and things like that? I, I don't know how we can.
1: I, I think that a robot is better at understanding the nuances of human behavior than Zuckerberg. I, I'm just going to be I'm just gonna be honest there. <laughs> he, he does not seem to get people. Uh, And and I'm not trying to say because of autism or anything like that. I know people make that accusation. I'm just saying that when you hit a certain level of geek rich, you just don't seem to care about people anymore. And he's definitely a rich geek.
0: First of all, I want to acknowledge best segue man in the business.
1: (laughs) I know that was a really clever save.
0: But next, that was something that uh, Kevin and I were speaking about earlier. He was writing down these principles, like just because it's your product. Doesn't mean
1: it's the best idea for you to be the CEO. I agree. Uh, I mean, well, heck, look at Papa Murphy's. Uh, no, not Papa, Papa Murphy's Jones. One. Papa, Papa John's. Papa John's. Yeah. Turns out their CEO has a tendency, or at least has on one occasion, managed to throw out a few words that white men should never say uh, in the middle of a big call with a lot of people. And suddenly, he's not the face of their company. He's not the CEO of their company. He doesn't even allowed to have an office because he kept making it worse. Kept going on. TV to re-re-re-explain why it was okay. And I think they'll do better without It's like, I think McDonald's is a great example. Their their spokesperson's a clown. I'm pretty sure the clown didn't found their
2: restaurant. (laughs) Oh, what about Wendy's Twitter? If you're not following Wendy's Twitter, you are missing out.
1: I love what they do with Wendy's Twitter. (laughs) Um, Although I gotta be honest, Wendy's and McDonald's gets weird. Every now and then there's like weird fan communities that do some strange stuff with Wendy. I'm just going to leave it there. But uh, oh, I love I love what they do on their Twitter. They, they've got so much salt, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> All about the notes. <laughs> so, so do you
0: think that, do we think collectively that Facebook might go the way of a Papa John's and ask Mark to step down?
1: Uh, no, because I think first off, he owns the majority of it. And... Uh, well, yeah. he's, he's got voting rights and it's a, it's a public company. So we, it's true. How
2: You know, I think he the rest of the math of the,
1: uh, so I don't think it's possible for him to be voted out unless he sells it. Am I wrong? Well, but to, earlier this year,
2: he's, he's already, um, <laughs> committed to selling a bunch of stock and he believe it already has, you know, I've seen a lot of, uh, stories where a lot of companies like Apple, Google are buying their own stock back, but they're also shoveling it out the back door too, like from personal portfolio.
1: Right. You know, I think I don't think Facebook can be saved by having someone other than him there, but I don't think they need saving. They're doing fine. They've given away the Western world. Uh, They've sold out democracy, and they're still making tons of money doing it. Wow, that's two people this week that sold out democracy. I know, right? And they're both doing okay. Uh, It's really unfortunate. Uh, There's a certain level, I think, of wealth that allows you to pretty much like by, like, Papa John's—the guy in charge of it's probably a multimillionaire. Sold a oh, lot yeah. of pizza. He's wealthy. He's okay. He's got some horrible botox, whatever. But uh, <laughs> but Zuck, he's um he's the kind of wealthy where he could give away like nine tenths of his money and still be wealthier than virtually everyone alive. And the horrible part is that him and Bezos and all these guys, most of them aren't pledging to do that. You know, I mean, I know that Zuck's saying he will, but. Well, I, he's going to make a bunch of schools in San Francisco or something.
2: I think he's committing to doing something that's not doable. You can't say, we're going to figure out how to get rid of hate and mm. um, know what's good and bad content for our platform. I just don't think, I mean, hell, we live in an era where the truth is somewhat negotiable. You know, it's like, wait a second. It's truth yeah. is now viewed through. Well, here's our version. Here's your version. Depending on what team you're on, and and how, how do we know what the single truth is? Maybe, maybe I'm screwed up now. Is there even such a thing <laughs> as the truth? I don't know. Uh,
1: no, I'm with you. I mean, I think there is such a thing as the truth, and I think that it's just been good marketing by people who find the truth inconvenient to to do otherwise. I mean, values can be argued, right? And I think that that's where we used to have our fight was values, you know, conservatives, uh, progressives, etc. But truth used to be like, okay, we agree on most of the truth and then we argue over values and a few things people would stand down on because they thought that had gotten away their values. But now it's like everything's up for grabs and it's going to be like that longer than I think we're comfortable. We're going to be old men by the time we finally get that figured out, I think again, but I don't think robots are going to do it for us. Okay, and now, do you now, think, do you think
0: ahead, we're ever going to be able to redefine or reclaim truth at this point?
1: Yes, um, maybe not while we're alive, <laughs> but yes. That's not good. <laughs> oh, no, so you, so. But, but it
0: sounds like Kyle and I are in agreement that, from from a societal standpoint, truth is going to be a hard grass for
1: many a decade. Well, it's one of those things that we're used to thinking of history as being sort of like a, a curve upwards and it turns out it's a lot more punctuated you know so progress can go back and forth on certain kinds of areas and i think accepting of scientific truth is or or anything related to that is kind of up in the air now it's like is global warming happening we don't know it's like no we know it's every day in the headlines there's something horrible happening somewhere because it's too hot or too strange or too different but people want to argue over it because you know, it gets in the way of them feeling good about themselves selling oil or whatever it is they're identifying with coal miners, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And um, I don't know. It's like you got to get politics out of the truth. But how do you do that, Bob? I don't know. Well, a we,
0: question.
2: we were trying to think, you know, in earlier episodes, um, can you program your AI or your uh, machine learning to have morals, ethics and values? And, hell, do we need to throw the word politics in there, too? You know?
1: Yeah, probably. And the fact is, AI is not going to save us because it's made by us. It's our child. Uh, Microsoft made that AI on Twitter, guys. Remember that one? that got It had to be killed in less than 48 it hours. Grounded. It turned <laughs> super racist really quick. <laughs> it, it, maybe but, it is very human. Who knows? Right? It's too human in a sense. It, it, it's learning from us. So it's like, how do you – you would have to make – a system that was learning from a source that wasn't being infiltrated by bad actors. And then you would have to somehow give it the power to act on that truth without it being shut down by people who disagreed with it. And you can see rapidly that becomes up Skynet almost, if you're not careful, like because people that would disagree with it would look at it as some sort of tyranny or whatever. I don't know. It's
0: But you can also see by that experiment that, the influence by the people around you can actually construct the moral background or the choices made by the community that you're surrounded with. Like that bot, that bot didn't become that racist bot because it didn't have any interaction. It Not became that way because, because people trolled it basically and taught it how to be that way.
1: Which is part of the problem. I mean, you know, if you want to fix things, especially in our lives, you got to start with the young folk. You have to start with impressionable people and you have to teach them how to tell the difference between the truth and falsehoods and give them a value system where truth is more important than other factors, or at least as important as other factors, you know? Um, And uh, then that way you can sort of inoculate them against that sort of influence later. Right?
0: So... A parallel thing, but not really parallel at all, but I'm gonna use this to try to be another great segue, is that we live in in an environment where it seems like, it's not nearly as frequent as it was maybe 12 months ago, but we have a new and seemingly quote unquote better way to do JavaScript coming out (laughs) about every nine days. So
1: G- good segue. A little rough, Bob. I'm gonna yeah. so yeah, yeah. no,
0: we you gotta stretch. You got people gotta work <laughs> with me here, but we need to Wait. get back to the topic at hand. We need a sound effect
2: for a great segue or a bad segue. That, yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> maybe the price is right, you know.
0: <laughs> wah, wah, wah. But seriously, we have everybody coming out with these ideas. These frameworks exist and come into development because somebody had a better idea, right? To yeah. make things better. So we got inundated probably, you know, two to three years ago with a new framework literally almost every other day.
1: It, it, it's got to be more than that now, Bob. I mean, uh, remember MooTools? Oh yeah. So, yep. I, I don't think I even had enough time to use MooTools. Knockout. Uh, Ember. Ember, uh, which I believe still exists uh, in a sense of there's a community there. Angular, of course. uh React. And, yeah, react. And this is all deeply influential in my life as a developer. Uh, I ended up as the JavaScript guy back when I worked for Mindfly, when it existed, a company that was based here in Bellingham, for those that don't know. And uh, I ended up on the JavaScript team, and it was mostly vanilla, and then it was jQuery, because jQuery was the hot thing then. It was, you know, it was still new. You know We didn't have a lot of the stuff like Query Selector baked in the, the browsers yet or anything like that. And... Uh, then after a couple of years of that, uh, Angular was the new hot thing and Brecco was going to put it in her back office. And my boss said, well, we're gonna be putting it in the back office of the of the uh, CMS we're using, you have to learn to use it in all front end projects. And it was like mandated. Like immediately, full stop, this big bid we made using jQuery, you're not allowed to use jQuery, Learn, learn Angular. I'm gonna be honest, that hurt. <laughs> So, so here's my,
0: here's my first question. Here, here's my first question. So because a framework works in the back office, does that necessarily facilitate its use for front end display?
1: Uh, probably not. Um, I mean, they can, it's really about user experience and, and sort of like, what are you trying to accomplish? I don't think back office and client side or user exposed are the same Uh, question because they're both being used by users, just different kinds of users. It's more like the needs. Um, I hate Angular, uh, probably in part because how I was forced to use it. And I know that it's all in the Embraco back office so deeply entwined that there's no way we're going to get it out until, I think they said the earliest they'll even consider it is version 10. And I think that's them being polite to me. Uh, I don't think think that's the end. How can they even foresee version 10? Well, I mean, you know, you have to look ahead. They, they know what they need to do for eight. And so they know, probably know what they need to fix for nine.
2: Program note, Umbraco is a CMS from
1: Denmark. Back to oh, really? you, guys. <laughs> right, right. Not everyone listens to that. We all have, at various points in our careers, worked with Umbraco, CMS. Uh, my, uh, my company Offroad code that I currently work for. Award winning. Award-winning, multiple award-winning off-road code. Uh, most of our projects, uh, not all, but most of our projects involve in Bracco as the CMS we build on. Uh, anyway, and um, that's horrifying to me, Bob, because uh, Angular is kind of—it's highly opinionated. You were talking about the right way to do things. Angular was one of those examples where they built JavaScript that acted very different. Because it forces you to do a lot of things with dependency injections and a lot of things with the way it bound data to um, uh, static to elements on the website, etc., that you had to do it one way or close to one way. There wasn't a lot of flexibility, and JavaScripters weren't used to being forced to so rigorously adhere to a doctrine. And honestly, the documentation is a nightmare. So. And it's always I, been a nightmare.
0: I was actually telling somebody the uh, last night when I was trapped in the airport that uh, JavaScript is pretty much one of those things that lets you get away with all kinds of really bad practices, but, <laughs>
2: it's, but, but you like can still get a result. of the front end, man.
1: <laughs> right. You know, but to an extent, I don't think that the bad practice thing is bad because it gives a lot of forgiveness for new people. Uh, you know, someone that may not have the same rigorous and you know uh, training that other folks have. And Ideally, what will happen is the senior developer on a team will use it as an opportunity to help bring you up to speed over time. But if you can make it work, then it'll keep you interested long enough to figure out how to make it work better.
0: Yeah. You get That's kind of how I look at it. You get a lot of discussions from quote unquote true developers about how you negotiate JavaScript world. <laughs> I would
2: like to defend the front end a little bit. Not that it's being attacked right now, but so historically (laughs) I'm a C sharp guy, but I've, I've had to do a lot of JavaScript. So I actually really love JavaScript. I love JavaScript. Um, uh, So in the beginning we had vanilla JS, but it wasn't called vanilla JS. It was just called.
0: (laughs) Right. Because uh, that's an, that's a relatively young framework called vanilla JS. Right.
1: Right.
2: And then we had jQuery. like, Holy crap. You mean I don't have to write all this weird, like very verbose stuff to do this very like true, you know, Seemingly trivial thing that takes all this code. Okay, great, we like jQuery. And then we have this thing called MVVM where, wait, all I gotta do is change the model, and it just, for lack of a better term, reacts over here. And that's great, but that was such a paradigm shift. It's like, whoa, because the markup yeah. becomes declarative at this point, and then you know your JavaScript is, is your imperative language. So that was a huge switch, and it was mind-blowing, but it was like, oh. I did not realize that this sort of thing could even exist. And then I, um, if you've never done Silverlight, remember Silverlight? I Mm. do remember Silverlight. So that was MVVM, but it was this like really shitty implementation. (laughs) where It felt like, you know, Flash, but Microsoft's version, you know, again, Microsoft trying to be cool too, but kind of not really. Anyway, but JavaScript kind of made it cool again uh, with MVVM and I really appreciated it. And so to contrast Kyle a little bit, I actually had to, well, I had to learn Angular 1 because of Morocco, but I ended up learning it and going, huh, this ain't so bad. But I totally revolted on the front end and I said, you know what, jQuery is still working on my <laughs> phone. And you know what, um, and, and I'm that guy because I know a lot of JavaScript people go, after Angular 1, if you use jQuery anymore, you are you know, insert some <laughs> term over here. So full disclosure, I, I I, don't mind using jQuery in front end and Angular on the back end. I've only made one app where I've done Angular on the front end, so all right, back to you.
1: Yeah, uh, I had to do a application as my very first Angular app that was going to be um, a website that managed a solar power control system in a home. So it was like a UI for handling your house's solar panel, connecting to your appliances and turning on and off levels and giving you all the details and all that. And that was my very first application, uh, which was um, a nightmare. Uh, but, you know, so so I, I, some of that sting, I think, is what did it for me. But I, I'm with you, Kevin, in one sense. Uh, I think that the amount of hostility that's kind of become vogue for developers between frameworks is a waste of time and honestly a horrible place to find a reason to not like someone. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I don't care if people use jQuery as long as it's a project where if that's what's expected to be used, someone tells me ahead of time and we uh, use it right. You know, in the same case with Angular, I prefer not to use Angular, frankly, but if it's going to be used, I'm not going to hate someone for using it.
2: The the more I... The older I get, I like to think I'm getting wiser because I used <laughs> to be more just like you're saying, I, you know, I kind of look at somebody else going, oh, your stack's not as good as my stack. And if it's, it's really for the simple reason that I'm not using your stack. I'm using my stack. But if I was using your stack, I would think my stack's better than yours. You know, if, if we we're right. Put- <laughs> but the older I get, the more I look at things and I go, you know what? C sharp and Ruby, they can both do the same thing. So why is one better than the other necessarily? Especially if one fits like a glove for you, cause C sharp fits really well for me, but Ruby doesn't. I know a ton of Ruby developers where, man, they're just like a C sharp and go, ah, that's great, but I can express myself more with mm-hmm. Rails over here. And I backed off going, well, mine's better than yours. Um, and then we <laughs> so extend that to um, JavaScript frameworks it's the same thing. Like, Angular 1 didn't have dissonance with me, um, but Angular 2+, plus I don't even know what to call it anymore. Yeah. That was just like, okay, now I gotta do TypeScript. Uh, you know what, maybe now's a great time to, to look around and go, you know what? What else is out there? And to be frank, I'm I'm looking at React going, man, I, w- I wish I could play too, because this, this guy I work with uses React and I would like to use React. I like
1: React. I use React in all my front-end applications. Uh, we even started, Messing around with the concept of using React in the Embraca back office on top of a translation layer with Angular, it works. Whether or not you should do it, I'm not advocating, but but we did it to <laughs> see if we could. It was really about it. Uh, and I'm with you. I, I mean, I like to think sometimes when you're a developer, especially a web developer, I kind of feel like a wizard sometimes with the cool stuff we can make the web do. And it's like if there's a wizard that likes this one school of magic, cool on him. I'm, I'm better with this one over here, but I'm not going to hate him for for using that choice. Uh, but yeah, I, I use a lot of React right now, and uh, but I do find it silly, kind of like the the game of frustration. Because what happens is if you talk about React too much in certain communities involving some of our online friends, they they'll immediately like jump in with their framework instead. They'll be like, "You got to use Vue, for example, Vue JS." Uh, yep, that and one's like, popular. You know, you know who I'm talking about? Uh, Vue JS. <laughs> you have to use Vue JS instead, and it's like use Vue.js. I have no problem with you using that, but but that's not me. And, um, you know, so definitely a thing often right now I'm using react if I need something complicated, uh, because I really love the way that it handles, um, data binding to, between, you know, your model and your, uh, the shadow dom really for rendering. It allows you to do all sorts of crazy things. Uh, you know, and I also frankly use vanilla JavaScript when it's less complicated. I rarely even use jQuery anymore because most of the features I want from it are baked in now. You know, they're in the browser. So,
2: yeah, so yeah, I I look at I kind of, you know, you you kind of look at those uh, you know, year one developer here's your code, then year five it's like very complicated looking, dependency right. ge- and year six it's the no it's back to the simple. I kind of, you know, I've gone through that cycle. I think all of us have. And <laughs> and I not <laughs> me. Anymore, anymore i look at things and i go oh okay that's a factory okay that's just creating something okay that's a model okay you know this is okay we're injecting something you know i look at it for what it is and i and i i i feel like i'm able to jump into any if you just threw a language at me right now i think i would be able to just go with it and be like okay well that's what we're using let's just do it even if it were just java you know it's <laughs> it, you know which is
1: well, well, that's what I love as a developer. I mean, I, I, it's almost a humble brag, but uh, I do like that as a developer is if you've been around it long enough, you can jump into less familiar languages and you understand the idea of what you're trying to do. And you may not know without Google, <laughs> maybe some of the command lines to write in you know, a code to write the, to to say, enhance a project if you need to fix it, but uh, you at least can usually read the project.
0: Right, in syntax aside if the developer has strong fundamentals, they should be able to jump in and play in any sandbox.
1: I, ideally, yeah. And it's, of course, it's especially good if the sandbox has been well-made. Uh, you know how it is when you inherit a project and you know you, there's ones where you're, you may not agree with the direction developers took, but you're really grateful that they did it well. And then there's ones where you don't know who wrote this, but you wish they would die in a fire, and then you realize 10 minutes later, it was you two years ago, you know? <laughs> that is one of the great realizations like
0: who the fuck
1: did this oh shit it was me (laughs) yeah yeah that that has happened to me a few times which i'll take as a good point it means i've been growing at least (laughs) when i take on a
2: new framework or a new language sometimes it, it is overwhelming i go okay time out take a knee drink water at the end of the day all that is happening is we're taking zeros and ones from here and moving them to here And then we have rules potentially in between called HTTP protocol, perhaps, and things like that. So, (laughs) you know, C-sharp will implement the web just, you know, with a 200 code, a 500, 404. And Ruby, you know what, if you're doing web stuff, I bet you it'll do it too. And I bet you, you know, if you're doing server-side JavaScript with Express and Node, I bet you at a fundamental level, that's all it's trying to do. So if you just kind of look at it and go, 50,000 foot view, what is it, you know, what is the generic concept behind all this? Syntaxis, I like Bob's saying, you know, you just slow down and, it, and it'll all just work out. Oh, it must be a code here, there mu- or status code, that is. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm very, I mean, I love C Sharp and I'm comfortable there. So that's a comfort zone thing. And JavaScript's a comfort zone thing. Um, so if you ask me to go to the rail stack or back to PHP, I used to do PHP. I'm gonna get, <laughs> I'm gonna get really happy feet in my chair of unsettling paranoia, but uh, not as much as maybe I would five years ago.
0: So. Well, that's good. So, so I have a is it just me question, but sometimes. You <sighs> no,
2: mean for a friend?
0: Yeah, I, I'm asking for a friend. Sorry, my bad. Um, it just your friend. When you are challenged with a new framework when you had like, am I the only one, or is my friend the only one that has those moments where you're like, oh shit, that's how that's done here? And you're like, wait, maybe this might be better. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I Uh think so. Yeah,
1: I've had those. Uh, Like, you know, I've switched from stuff to stuff to stuff. Like, when I learned Angular after jQuery, for me it was a really hard shift in paradigm. So it took a long time to get on board, and once I was on board, I was comfortable enough to feel like it was better to do certain things. And then when I switched to react, it was another hard shift because kind of like unlearn what you've learned, Yoda sort of stuff. But then it was like, Oh, this is way for me better of a way to do it. And so I've had those moments and it makes me wonder how much past me might have been less smart than you thought he was. But, uh, (laughs) Yeah. Less experienced, not less smart, just less experienced. A little of A, a little of B, I'll take either. I, I'm humble enough.
2: <laughs> so, so you guys are familiar with the triangle where on time, uh, on budget, and quality, right? So yeah. essentially, Pick right? Two. So, you know, I kind of look at frameworks that way. Well, each framework picks two, but maybe it's a different trinity of things. But so the reason it implemented this way, because it it's advantage towards this particular issue and then React may pick these two and those might be readability those might be extensibility those might be you know performance whatever those metrics are so I think the reason we have a bunch of different frameworks is because each one may have picked two different ones and uh, yeah (laughs) and really it's well what is it that you're trying to do but there's also that you know well how are you as a developer wired am I compatible do I just am I Am I seeing the matrix, you know, in front of me with this framework? And if I'm not, maybe you need to look at the other one here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What I think is sad is a lot of people that aren't necessarily JavaScript-centric, or even some of the people that are, they look at this proliferation of framework as a problem. You know, they're like, I'm having to relearn XYZ all the time if I'm trying to get into this, or it's a sign that JavaScripters don't know what they're doing, etc. And I think instead, it's kind of a healthy sign of energy. Different people are using this very versatile code base to solve problems in ways that make sense to them. You know, Some people, Angular really fits their their vibe. As you were saying, you're more comfortable, for example, with C Sharp versus Ruby. And what's cool about JavaScript is it's been so flexible as we can make a lot of different ways to solve problems, and anyone can pick the one they want. Yeah, there can be a loss on saving money for your company if there's too many ecosystems, there's not enough tool sets in one, but I haven't really found that to be a meaningful problem. So I think it's great. And what I really like is more and more of the people behind these frameworks are saying the same thing. Like we're all open source or close enough to it. We're all trying to solve the same problems. Let's be happy for each other's successes. I've got a
2: question for a friend. Um, He just uh, (laughs) tweeted a direct message at me and he wants to know um, (laughs) if you're coming from a, say, a grunt or gulp era and looking at, say, Webpack, and going, hmm, gee, it would be interesting to know the difference without having to Google. (laughs) Um,
0: What would you say, Kyle? (laughs) Wait, 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 I I wanna put a clarifier in for friends that are listening that- Friends of the show. Yes, friends of the show that aren't deeply into this aspect. Uh, the frameworks that Kevin just mentioned are more along the lines of automation and not so much along the lines of display and manipulation.
1: Yeah. They're build tools. Basically they're responsible for taking disparate parts of code and making a production script or something. Uh, Kevin, I wish I could answer that more intelligently. Uh, (laughs) I know that they, they're they task runners, right? right. And they, they behave in slightly different ways. I know that Webpack can't do all of the things, for example, that Grunt can, but it can do most of the things, and in some cases better. Uh, I, 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 nope, I, that's, that's I, I I I'll tell I, my friend. I use Webpack <laughs> um, because I find Webpack for JavaScripters, is a very convenient way to have a bunch of distributed code or a bunch of different JavaScript files that you can cleanly link together and then do all the magic Babel ES6 stuff where you use, for those who aren't familiar, uh, later versions of JavaScript that aren't yet baked into the browser but have been documented. You can kind of use them already and it'll trans- transpile Trans- it converts it into the version a browser understands.
2: Yeah, so uh, um, my co-worker Taylor, he was walking me through some of that stuff. It's kind of mind-blowing coming from like a vanilla JS, jQuery, you know, Angular 1. And then, boom, comes the ES6 bomb. And I think there's even an ES7 or I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
1: it's like ES2015 plus or something weird like that.
2: So I think it's neat that we can work with that. But it's like putting the cart before the horse a little bit. And I get the whole future like... <laughs> but are you really future proofing? Because I mean, if you look at the way Google handled Angular two plus, where there's like 10 breaking changes like every before lunch and after lunch. Yeah. Um, you know, are we setting ourselves up? Are we on the end of a really long whip that they're just gonna keep changing and we're just like, oh okay, we'll update Babel again because of this. So what's well, your thoughts on
1: that? Well, my thought is first off, Google screwed the pooch when it came to Angular two. It was such a different beast from Angular 1, they could have given it a different name and it would have gone better. Uh, and it could rem- have just been a new framework, exactly. I remember I remember watching uh, online when they did the announcement in Paris a few years back and it was like, the developers were immediately like, so everything I've learned I have to throw away? It was like, and, and as it turns out, that was perfect for React. React shot up because it came out at exactly the right time. Uh, yeah, I don't know uh, per se with regards to say, JavaScript versioning and all that, I do know that because I use React and React is sort of a lot of its developers and therefore a lot of its tutorials and build scripts and so on and so forth are ES6 slash Babel slash whatever they're calling it right now, uh, versions that I've gotten used to fat arrow notations. I'm really fond of let and const versus var, um, stuff like that. And it took me a long time to get around some of it because the documentation for, people who weren't there for the conversation was like poor at explaining what, why, no, really, why, and then finally how, uh, it's still kind of crazy for JavaScripters to have to be like, okay, open up your command console, what, and start typing DOS commands in order to install your scripts that you're going to be using today. I mean, it's it's weird to me, but I think at the very least, these are... Uh, language evolutions that have been agreed upon by the browser maker. So they are going to end up in there at some point. Um, maybe it is cart before the horse, but it's being compiled. So ultimately, if it works now and it doesn't work later, it won't hurt you.
2: So I'm going to set the table for a possibly very opinionated answer. And uh, you, can <laughs> totally, you can give me the politician duck and dodge if you want. Um, but the so we TypeScript was invented by the same person who created C-sharp. And TypeScript is basically a way to, it's, it's meant for Angular, I mean, that's its greatest use case, the Angular 2, um, to write it like this and we'll transpile it to plain old JavaScript. And yeah. then if we contrast that against uh, React, and React is going, well, just why don't you just learn ES6, which is JavaScript, we'll backwards compatil- compatibleize it that's not a word. Uh, with Babel, yeah, uh, like I know what I mean. <laughs> I'm going I'm to trademark that. Okay. Um, so in in my naive view, I, I think it's better to use future JavaScript only wording as opposed to putting in what I call TypeScript as a shim, like this kind of, we don't really need this language, but we're using this language language. What say you about all that?
1: You mean like TypeScript? I, I don't use TypeScript and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with languages that only exist as abstractions. And that's the weird part about TypeScript. It's it's an abstraction from JavaScript, right? And like, I guess CoffeeScript is kind of the oh, same. God, and I hated CoffeeScript, and it's totally and, like that. And I don't see the point of it only because, well, it's fine, once again. It's like frameworks. If you want to go, so here's your politician, Dodge, real brief. If you want to go and use it, no harm. But um, I do think it's harmful for devs that end up only learning how to use that And then what happens is we passed the moment. You're using something that doesn't have it. Like everything I've learned in React, I may not be able to use JSX or something that's specific to it elsewhere. But all the JavaScript techniques that I've learned are going to be usable going forward. They're forward compatible. Right, and they're framework agnostic. Yeah, whereas I feel that Uh, a lot of the stuff that you've learned with um, TypeScript, because it's not a framework. It's literally a different way of writing JavaScript just because.
0: It's it's syntactical shortcutting, which doesn't teach you the true syntax.
1: Right. And it's only useful for that as long as you can guarantee that that knowledge pipeline will last. And I don't know if they can guarantee. In fact, I guarantee they can't promise you that.
2: So here's a promise or a prediction, a Bob and Kevin show prediction. I don't think TypeScript's going to be a long-term thing, in my humble opinion. Well, don't I don't think so. Us. Especially, TypeScript
0: if, if, don't add us.
1: <laughs> yeah, especially, I think if Angular is its main use case, because I think Angular is, I mean, it's it's still got enough users, but it's clearly over the hump, you know. And there's a, there's a life cycle on frameworks, and I don't think another framework's going to be like TypeScript's the way to go. Right, you know? exactly. So, so, so it right, was just kind of like shorthand because they
0: have to buy into the transpiling, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it locks you into that ecosystem. The thing you can say about Babel is it's it's a shim for uh, something that the browser makers have said this will go into the browser, you know. And some of it's already there. You can use let and const, for example, in certain browsers um, versus say var. Um, some of it, I don't think fat our notation is available everywhere yet. But
0: right, but it is a spec. It's a spec gap
1: closer, is what it is. Yes, exactly. Like HTML five was back in the day. Kyle, I'm gonna
0: I'm gonna
2: kind of slow things down here. I'm gonna kind of talk a little slow, and I'm gonna say, "Hey, talk a little nerdy to me." <laughs> and, uh, what I want you to tell me about is J JSX. <laughs> uh, can you give me a <laughs> lowdown on what JSX is?
1: Oh yeah. All right. Well, now now that we're at podcast after dark, Kevin, <laughs> <laughs> how you doing? Um. So JSX is, am I small enough? No, uh, JSX is one of those things that as a developer initially terrified me because uh, we're all of an age. I'm sure we all started developing at a point where the standard wars were being fought and a huge part of that was separation of content. And um, so, you know, HTML handled content, uh, CSS handled presentation, and JavaScript handled functionality. And those lines shall never cross. It's like the Ghostbusters. If you cross the beams, you might destroy the universe. So, don't do it.
0: Oh my God! And Say that again, even slower. You got this. You do got this little very white voice going on.
1: <laughs> I, I can I can get a little deeper. And <laughs> the 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 problem, of course, is when JavaScript um, when when JSX came along, was that they decided uh, React okay, we're going to put our HTML in our JavaScript. And it could be like a chocolate peanut butter sort of situation. <laughs> but, but it wasn't because we were taught never, ever do this. And it's like, it kind of felt dirty. And you know, it's like... It totally I- sounds dirty now that if you're I saying I it. I'm allowed like- to put my HTML in my JavaScript. Right. Um, and worse yet, and a lot of developers, I remember, were trying to figure out, how do I do React? Because they wanted React without JSX. And originally, they would teach you how to do it. They had, here's how we recommend it, but here's how you can do it. And they don't do that anymore now. They've said, just bloody use JSX. That's already over, you know. Um, it is funny because, you know, it's the HTML syntax that's inside a JavaScript function usually being returned as sort of like a dynamic amount of markup. Y- right. Yeah,
2: it, it, it kills my sensibilities when I look at it because you got like open parentheses and bam, uh, uh, angle brackets. I'm like, where's my quote? You know, Are,
1: right. don't we just
2: yeah. be a literal string? What's going on here, man?
1: <laughs> yeah, and that is the crazy part because that's definitely where it's that. That's like non-transportable JavaScript. If React ever is gone, you're not keeping that format <laughs> for right. sure. Uh, and it does mess with me. It's kind of weird because if you came in from Angular, you've got your HTML file, that has its mustache you know. brackets, so that's all about the mustache, uh, that's bringing in the bound in JavaScript. And this is almost backwards. In the middle of a JavaScript file, suddenly it's like, let's talk HTML, right? Um, but once you got over the hump, get over the hump of it, you know, it's like the way you start thinking of components as uh, DOM modules, kind of sells it. What is that? What was that? <laughs>
0: Oh, you all weren't supposed to be able to hear that. I was not sharing my audio from that application. <laughs> oh, wow. I was doing some show production in the background looking for some uh, Barry White-esque music for this little segment here. Right, uh, yeah, you got
1: to make it no so it gets better. <laughs> but yeah, I um, I do like JavaScript. Uh, I mean JSX uh, after um, I got used to it, but it did take a bit for me to go, is this okay? And, but it's almost gotten too far now. There's stuff like... JSS, which oh. is like JavaScript style sheet stuff.
2: Well, let me stop you there because I gotta know how does Less and Sass play into all this? Where does where do I where am I sticking? Is there even preprocessors
1: in? Oh God, stop! My brain hurts. Well, Webpack <laughs> and Grunt and Gulp all have preprocessors for that kind of thing.
2: Okay, so this is outside of React. So this is yeah. a separating concern. This is like. That do, that's not even in this. Okay. No, right. like
1: I'm saying, there's people doing weird stuff that mix those two, JavaScript and okay. CSS. I, I do not, uh, React is not, so that's good. Uh, you know, we use mostly Sass, the company that I'm in right now. Uh, I've used less before too. Thank goodness. I think those are great. I wish CSS would just say, can we do it like this without a preprocessor?
2: Pardon the noob questions. Pardon the noob question. So React is, is just updating the DOM, and,
1: I mean, are we adding classes, removing classes still? You can. I mean, you're updating a DOM, and a class is part of the DOM. So uh, it, it does the shadow DOM. I couldn't even tell you what it is. It sounds kinky, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's basically a, a layer behind the DOM. Uh, I have some friends who get really um, into a laughing fit when I try to tell them what I do for a living and um, <laughs> for this very reason. Uh, and, and yeah, it's just about updating the DOM. You know, it, that's all that it. Uh, I think React is really about is rendering HTML and then the logic behind the scenes to tell it when or how to do so. Uh, I use a lot of Redux, for example, as a state store or logic container for it, which isn't necessary by any means, but um, is one of the convenient ways to do it if you're complex enough.
2: So let me address one of the things I think, so a critic or critique of some of this. I've, you hear weird stuff, and it's weird only because I haven't done one of these projects. You hear Babel, you hear react, or yeah, well, react, so you hear redux, and there's probably three other ones that I'm just, I mean, it sounds uh-huh. like only the cool kids know how to even speak this anymore, and I feel like I am just like a dinosaur.
1: Well, I mean, you're not. It took me like a year and a half to get through all of that. Uh, I was using Angular almost exclusively when I transitioned from MindFly to multi award-winning Offroad Code, and they were Nailed using it. <laughs> they were they were using exclusively React, and they were using it on a very large site of ours. That's a client that does travel packages, so it's like a big, uh, you know, travel destination. Select your different pieces. Application, So it, it had a lot of moving pieces and it was like very, very, very early react. So it was, it was creaky you know, when I got in and having that as my learning base was terrifying and we were using flux. That's what they used to call the state management technique back then. And then they invented Redux like a year later and we're like, why did we need to change from flux? And the trouble is the people who invent these things suck at explaining it. Like they don't have... <laughs> a good reason to tell you why they made a new thing. It turns out it was a good reason. uh, But when they first said it, it just kind of sounded like, you know, I thought it'd be fun. That's that's what it sounds like. Right. It's Uh, just better. Just use it. And it took me like three to four months to actually really get around to understanding Flux well enough that I could substitute it in there as state management um, that uh, felt like it was a sensible replacement because it's it looked more complicated on the surface. It wasn't. It turns out it's just that the way they explained it uh, was very non-intuitive. Because everyone wants to show you a to-do reducer or a to-do app or something like that, you know. And no one uses a to-do app in their day-to-day, you know, work. Right. So it's like, could you give me something that actually makes sense to use instead of a checklist that I'm clicking?
2: So, um, uh, kind of related is—is is it? natural to do a single page application with react or is it, is it not matter?
1: Uh, uh, well, I mean, react was made, I think with SPAs in mind. So I certainly use it for that. It's not necessary for that to be the application. Uh, I've used it for a number of big things, number of little things. Um, I've had a few incidents where I've had unrelated react instances that are communicating with each other by sharing a single data store. Uh, I've seen people use signal R to communicate with react. Um, which is gets really trippy. I like SignalR. I don't get to use it in enough projects, but it's. I mean, I, game development's how I initially intended to be a developer until the industry turned them all into wage slaves of the worst sort. So uh, that was my original idea, but I do still like the notion of what could I do with this. So yeah. So does uh, are you familiar with React Native? Yes, uh, Familiarism, I know what it is, and I've used it a little bit. Uh, wait, a minute, wait a minute. Wait
0: a minute. Pause, pause pause yep there we go why so we have react and then react native came later
1: yeah so react is react on the web react native is a version of a react that is meant for for example um smartphone operating App development. system apps. okay yeah. okay gotcha 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 and they're different enough that being knowledgeable in one will help you with the other, but the differences will catch you if you're not careful.
2: That that was kind of where I was going at, because as a layperson, uh, I see that they both include the word React, and I was fairly familiar with the second one happened to be with
1: app, you know, mobile development, but after that, I was like, man, I hope
2: he can give me some info.
1: Right, <laughs> you know, and they're similar enough. Um, I wish, if anything, that some of the HTML-like component behavior of React was in React Native, but they lean more heavily on some of the probably the principles that app developers are used to for that kind of thing, for like event management and you know certain kinds of elements of uh, interactive elements, etc. So um, that's not as immediately intuitive to me because I don't do a lot of time on mobile app development.
0: So it's like jQuery and jQuery
1: Mobile yeah that, in a way too rudimentary yeah that's a that's a good rudimentary comparison that's probably not accurate at all and then, and then there's, <laughs> there's got to be some sort of transpiler that takes it from
2: react native to um you know native
1: code right, right yeah you'll you'll it'll either go to you know androids um whatever they call it and uh, or to coco I, I don't remember what
0: right so I you've was. got to run it through some kind of app type deal to put it in its true
1: native rapper yeah exactly so kyle
2: totally out of left field you like astronomy don't you
1: i love astronomy
2: and and you (laughs) see bob's reaction (laughs) where the the hell did this come from so so kyle and i we sometimes exchange some astronomy things so i'm a closet i wish i were a astrophysicist so neil degrasse tyson is one of my heroes and i totally envy the dude because he gets to talk about like cool space shit like on a daily basis all the time yeah, and he's got Star Talk Radio and all that. So uh, I know you're into astronomy. Um, yes. If you could combine, and this is just like totally on the spot, if you could combine technology and astronomy, what sort of technology would you like to work on, invent, or be a
1: part of? Oh man, that's a good one. Uh, I'm really obsessed about astronomy. Right now my biggest jam are kuiper Belt objects, which are like Pluto and other small rocks beyond the orbit of Neptune, moons. Because all these tiny rocks that, because, you know, we found all the big planets that are nearby, you know, there might be one farther away. So we have to kind of look at these weird new, tiny ones. And they turn out to be really weird They do weird stuff. Triton has volcanism. Who would have thought? But um, let's see, applications. You know, that's a tough one. I think what would be really exciting right now is if we saw the private sector get more involved in lowering the cost of exploring distant solar system objects. Because right now, it's like once every 20 years, they'll send something past Mars, you know, or if they do, it's almost always just to Jupiter now. Like New Horizons, they were originally going to make two of them, and they were going to go to two different targets. And then they're like, eh, one. So, I mean, being involved in the, you know, um, operating systems or behaviors of those kinds of things would be neat, even though I suspect that the limitations of uh, programming for hardened space where spaceflight uh, space flight compatible soft, uh, hardware is annoying as all heck. And of course you're operating on something smaller than one quarter of a phone's power, you know? So, uh,
2: <laughs> I think for me, that's my ultimate wet dream. If some, if NASA or Elon or SpaceX calls me up and says, Hey, uh, yeah, it turns out we actually need someone to help us with this, uh, guidance system for landing uh-huh. on this new planet that we just discovered past You know, the Kuiper belt that's affecting the sun every so, you know, slightly. Um, Are you busy? I'll be like, I I am, nope, not busy. I don't don't care. I will make time. Yes. (laughs) I don't care what's coming up. You know, I will be there.
1: But I got to be honest. I really hope they have some good quality control teams.
2: Well, I I, I have a, and speculating here. So the local industry where I'm at is um, defense. So we have like missile guidance software. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, and it's written in an old language called Ada 95, which is, predates Java just a little bit, the year 1995. I went to college, that was the language we learned. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, you're right, I, th- I think there's got to be a, a gajillion amount of unit tests, uh, so many. Uh, faults that could happen? How does it react? How does it recover? Because there's no,
1: can you turn it off and on? Probably. I mean, you might be able to. Well, what I love about it is when you read about these things, is the way they treat fault states. They're pretty clever about it these days. Like by and large, if something unexpected happens on most of these probes, it'll just be like something weird happened, basically put itself into virtually off and just call and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to hang out here until you, tell me what I'm doing. Like New Horizon, They had a fault state less than a month before it arrived at Pluto. You know, that's like a one-time shot. And I believe the encounter window was like less than three hours long. If you miss that, it's not like you get a retry again.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, our history is pretty successful. I mean, I can't think of a a whole lot of failures besides the Hubble uh, mirror uh, that we've had over the last few I mean, we probably crashed a few probes. Here and there. I I think
1: the biggest profile disaster we had with the probe was the Beagle space probe. There was a conversion between, it was an ESA NASA collaboration, and there was literally, can you believe it, a kilometer mile difference in how it was programmed versus what it was expecting. So it opened its uh, uh, thrusters or a parachute too late and slammed into Mars way too fast. I was watching a doc. I thought
0: we lost another one in space recently, though. Like we just lost it. Well, we lost
2: contact with the one that landed on the asteroid because it turned away from the sun and it wasn't getting power. I forget what it was called, but it uh, we landed on the uh, asteroid it was like it was like we sent the shuttle from the sh- from the the satellite uh Thingy. anyway i'm totally screwing up my words
1: no no for the for the record you're, you're talking about fillet is the spacecraft that's the one uh that was the lander it's this tiny little comet lander and it was supposed to have harpoons it was actually europe that made that one so it depends who you meant by we and yeah it totally um it <laughs> I, was meant
0: the, spo- I meant the human race
1: <laughs> it was supposed to shoot harpoons into um the comet to anchor itself because the comet is so lightweight that there's there was enough gravity to matter for the cases of a tiny probe, but not enough to keep it on the thing. Right. And, uh, the harpoons didn't fire properly. So it bounced, bounced off. <laughs> and, and it stayed on it eventually landed on its side, but it was like in a shadow under a rock. So right. they got some science, but not nearly as much. And then there was recently at least one probe from Russia to Mars that failed, which is like virtually everything Russia's ever sent to Mars fails. Uh, they did great with Venus. They had a ton of Venus landers that of course, you know, boiled in two hours like they were expected to do, but they always they almost always made it there. But for some reason they've had the worst luck with Mars. So so ponder
2: this. So in the in the nineteen sixties, when we sent men off this planet outside of our orbit to the moon, we were writing software weave like I did it. Uh, the people who are writing the software, writing software that was not object oriented. Software yeah. patterns have not yet been established. Expectations on what software should look like have not even been conceived at this point. Everything needed a line number and it had to be printed out and, and looked at um, physically on the printout Dot matrix. Yes. Yeah, exactly.
1: it was insane. I think punch cards were partially involved too uh, in the uh, part of the coding. Yeah, it's insane. Right? Uh, was Holy it Margaret Christ. Hamilton was responsible for the right. uh, lunar lander code, and uh, you know it was taller than her. Yep, uh, with, I've seen the printout. Uh, and uh, actually, what I remember from that is Neil Armstrong actually asked a uh, one of the old computers, which was a term back then that meant you know almost exclusively women who did the manual computing for the space program. Double check the, the actual. Digital computer because i don't trust the digital computer on this landing solution and yep. uh, and she of course you know was incredibly amazing at what she did and was trusted better than it and said, yeah no it'll work and he's like okay now i 'll trust it I was watching a
2: documentary that you know goes to great lengths to explain the choreography for the for the engines being made in one area and the the uh, different stages made in different areas and they all come together and the, the Apollo program was at risk of not launching, or maybe Men Mercury, uh, one of those, maybe an earlier program, because the software is not yet ready. And oh no, when that briefed in the in the room, where hey guys, we can't launch it, we don't have the software ready. You know, they got a bunch of dumb stares. Like, what are you talking about? Just you know, just don't you just. Do your thing? Turn it on. (laughs) Yeah, it it was all completely hardware. Like, if it's going to go wrong, it's going to be the hardware. No real thoughts to, well, what if they put a bug in the software? Of course, that's a little different
1: today. It's really impressive how few people we managed to kill in the process, if you think about
0: it. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but in hindsight, look at the tiny number of humans we actually ran that risk with in
1: the entire scope. It's insane. If, if you want to get into one of my biggest pet peeves, it's that we have decided to take so much time between hitting the moon at all to doing anything more in space beyond low earth orbit. Uh, and, you know, there's all sorts of excuses about, well, what's the the benefit of it? And it's like, you know, there used to be a time where you would explore, you would be like, we're going to go across the Pacific. Why? Just to say we freaking did it. Um, and then you got killed by you know, natives that you tried to steal from halfway through the journey. But, you know, know, so there was some, maybe you should have thought out how to be a polite guest. But, um, you know, it's like, it's funny to me that like the notion of, well, wouldn't it be just cool to have a guy go around Mars because he could? (laughs) Show note, next year is the 50th anniversary that Neil Armstrong first stepped on the moon. And we are running out. I think there's like less than eight of them alive now or something like that.
2: Yeah, and that just, I mean, I'm so just, because we're space shuttle generation, most of us here, right? Or all of us? All of us. We're all within an age. Yeah, so we're space shuttle generation. You're like, fuck yeah, space shuttle Tang and and Krista McAuliffe and, oh shit, Challenger and uh, Columbia. But, you know, space program, fuck yeah, America, you know, all this. And then we're just like, yeah, eh, oh well. Like,
1: right, and it's something we're not playing anything, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: It's like, what, what happened? So, Bob and I covered the
1: uh, the Falcon Heavy launch uh, a few months back. I saw that one. Uh, I actually watched that when he had the video. That was the double landing. Yeah, amazing. and that yes. gave me
2: it gave me literal genuine Chills. goosebumps. Yes, when when I saw that land, because I'm like, America's back, baby. That's exactly what I was thinking.
1: <laughs> right. I really wish that Musk would calm down a bit, though. He's beginning to sound weird on Twitter, like uncomfortable well, weird.
2: Yeah, in general,ly in general, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, Elon, go do your thing. But then he calls somebody a pedophile. I'm like, okay, that's probably not good. That's, it's that's, like maybe take a deep breath for a while.
0: <laughs> good on Kyle for the last great segue of the night. We can, <laughs> we can, we can end on talking about uh, Elon's shitty week as compared
1: to uh, – This really wraps around. We're talking what? about rich people in a crappy week. Um, but I think almost compared to that, Bob, I think what we forgot to say was that Zuck – had a crappy week because he basically said Holocaust deniers had a right to use their app to talk or something.
0: Because like they it. were doing it from a point of ignorance, which hello, all misinformation is coming from a point of
1: ignorance. Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing. Holocaust denial is a crime in Germany. Right. In Germany, those posts do not appear on Facebook. They are being made. Ooh, They never appear. So when you're saying, Um, I can't curate them. You're lying. And when you're saying, uh, you know, oh, it's just a point of opinion or whatever, it's like, okay, um, we know that it's a crappy enough opinion that major leading democracies are like.
2: Uh Aha. But, so, do conspiracy theories, are they allowed on Facebook? And I have the one that will tie it all together. Did we go to the moon, conspiracy theory? (laughs) I
0: wondered if one of us was going to bring that up. I'm going to say that's why we've never been back, because maybe we never went. Because,
2: I mean, Mythbusters had a really good episode on it, and I really believe the government's too stupid to cover up something like that. So, I believe we went there. But I can see some of these, like, (laughs) <laughs> you know, people saying and then so it's not holocaust it's not racism it's did you go to the moon it's fairly you know do we allow that on facebook
0: flat earth right. don't add us please
1: add <laughs> <At> us <laughs> yeah. i'll take you all on flat earth bring
0: it <laughs> all yeah. that is
1: all at Squirrel on twitter i challenge you to go to the edge of the world and then at me from there yes at the top of the ice wall do it oh god it gets weird now the ice wall bob uh, <laughs> the one of them launched himself on a giant ass rocket that California mm-hmm. kept trying to stop him from doing it. So that way he could see the flat earth. Apparently but he, really he only
0: went, it. but he only went like 1800 feet in the air
1: and really messed up his back. Cause it was like right. a steam powered, like catapult.
0: But let's not forget, <laughs> let's not forget that we have mountains that are 14,000 plus feet high. And he went 1800 feet in the air or something ridiculous. Like, I that. mean,
1: it's farther than I've gone, but I wouldn't do it that way. <laughs>
2: I, I think Elon Musk <laughs> should offer free rides for any flat earther. The only caveat is they got to ride on the outside of the rocket so they can get a full view.
1: <laughs> sure, I, why not?
0: I think that's probably a, a a great segue for our closing around the horn, don't you think?
2: I think so. Uh, I'm going to go first so we can give Kyle maybe the last word-ish. Yeah, because
1: I don't know how this works. Uh,
2: well, we're... We don't we're, either, for the record. Yeah, we're just going to kind of you know spew more hot air so let's do uh, it so zuckerberg bad week i don't think he is the right guy to solve the unsolvable so (laughs) there's that um i think uh javascript is great and i i can't wait to learn react um but i i I really need a project to cut my teeth on i I can't just learn it in a vacuum and do my to-do app i i need a like a no shit client needs this oh damn and then um I think we went to the moon. Uh astronomy is awesome. I should have been an astrophysicist. And Kyle, you're up or Bob, you're up there. Go <laughs> back.
0: Oh, well, I was gonna actually just uh do my regular wrap-up, but I will say that um yeah, Zuck had a bad week. Uh rich people behaving badly on social media. That's pretty much the uh the norm these days. Uh, I am very much a young noob when it comes to JavaScript. So uh I am very curious to continue to learn more. Only dabbled in Angular, mostly just a jQuery and Vanilla JS kind of guy. And uh, the uh, I wanted to answer the question about the uh, if we could combine app development and astrology. And I wanted to say hi. My name is Bob, and I'm a Virgo. <laughs> um, Bob. If you're an astrologist,
2: um, we're going to have some words.
0: <laughs> I know, but the whole astronomy and app development, that left me pretty much just saying, hi,
1: I'm, uh, I'm Bob. You had, to go, you had to go and talk about space magic, Bob. <laughs> um, I, I am also a Virgo, which means I was born in August. That's at late August, whatever. Um, like one twelfth of the human population. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> that, and nothing else. Um, so, that's it. Um. Yeah, uh, billionaires behaving badly. Uh, I'm not a fan that they're gonna do it anyway. I don't think there's much to do about it. Zuck isn't gonna fix Facebook's problems, but I don't think that they're gonna get rid of them because I don't think they can. He is Facebook. Uh, JavaScript, I love the many frameworks out there. I don't love them all equally. I like that they're there and that people can do it. I'm really comfortable with React. I look forward to the day someone makes something better that I'm like, holy crap, I have to use it. I think that's fun. You know, um, because usually it makes your job easier. And it keeps you passionate and it keeps you learning. And I like to keep learning, it, 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 it makes it worth it. Uh, I love space. Uh, I too would have liked a career in space if um, it paid well. For the most part, most people get paid very poorly to be a scientist, sadly, and only a few make it up to the ranks that actually matter. But man, can you imagine? There's those people whose job is, what do you do? I command uh, curiosity where to drive today. That's pretty cool. Right, you know, it's like, what are you? Um, I'm a Mars weather person. What do you mean? I read the weather updates from Mars from spacecraft and try to make a prediction. I mean, meteorologist from Mars is a pretty cool job. That'll turn heads at a cocktail party, right? Right, you know that kind of thing. Um, And I don't remember if there was another one. There we go.
0: Well, I
2: have one more thing, and Bob, it's all up to you to
0: bring the
2: lightning. (laughs)